We're in the Gospel of Luke. That's in the New Testament, uh, the right side of your Bible. And uh, you're welcome to put a bookmark there or even a post-it note because we'll be back in Luke and on Sunday after Sunday until we finish the whole thing. We're, we're moving through God's Word in an orderly fashion. It's been written for our blessing and instruction. We're in Luke chapter 14. As you're turning, let me welcome those who uh, might be listening online. I'm not sure if our camera's working today. There was a technical glitch, but uh, hearing God's word is a blessing. Uh, we're glad you're tuning in. Let me read in chapter 14, beginning in verse 12 through verse 24. This is God's holy word. He, Jesus, also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. When you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, Jesus, said to him, A man once gave a, bank, a great banquet and invited many. And at, that, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had inv been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have uh, bought a field. I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Thus far we read in God's good and holy word, may he bless it to all who hear, believe, and obey it. Amen. Today is February 18th, and back in 1885, on this very day, Mark Twain, originally his name was Samuel Clements, he published a book, The Famous Story, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. I don't know if you've read that. That, that was one of the first hardcover books I owned as a child, and see where I'm at now. So many books. Um, Mark Twain wrote this. He had first introduced Huck Finn in a previous story about nine years early, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, a literary crowd today. So Mark Twain had written this sequel and called it The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. What a name. The book is about Huck and his friend Jim, 
a runaway slave as they travel down the Mississippi River on a raft. Sounds like fun. Though it's another adventure story, and it's after the Civil War, this sequel from the pen of Mark Twain is a much more serious book at times, focusing on slavery and lingering racism and hypocrisy among Christians to boot. It's a story with a punch that you don't often see coming. It's fun, but it's serious. In an interesting way, we see how the truth, even in story form, can sometimes be hard to hear and very prickly. Can we say something like that about the parables of Jesus, perhaps? Many of the parables which were spoken to a particular audience came with kind of a gut punch. Today, Jesus speaks to his host about who to invite. And then as they talk about banquets, he speaks to everyone who was assuming they'd be in heaven. Let's uh, hear a parable, Jesus says. The truth in story form. In chapter 14 of the Gospel of Luke, it's our second time visiting this dinner scene. So we're calling it Dinner with Jesus, part two. In the first part, he had a couple of parables, and he talked primarily to the guests who wanted to have the best seat in the house. And so he spoke to all the guests. But today, he first speaks to the host, and then he speaks to all of them who assume that they'll be at the banquet in heaven. I hope the truth of what Jesus tells us, even the story that Jesus tells, that it penetrates us, it pierces through any religiosity and is a help, a clear word for us. Let's begin in verse 12. These first couple of verses give an admonition about hospitality. You might say that it's advice. Well, it's more than advice, so I'm using the word admonition. Um, Jesus was at the home of a ruler of the Pharisees. We saw that back in verse 1. So Jesus now speaks to the man who had invited him. He speaks not only to the one who's his host, but someone who is a leader in the community and by name a ruler of the Pharisees. And Jesus says something very plainly. Don't just invite your friends. Well, he didn't insert the word just, did he? Let's read our Bibles. Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors when you're throwing a banquet, when you're throwing a feast. Wow. Did you know that that command is in the Bible? Do you have dinner guests coming over today for lunch? What do we do when Jesus says something like that? Well, we need to understand it as it's delivered. Jesus, like many good teachers, like the best of teachers, he is the best, uses all the tools at his disposal, including figures of speech. Parables are coming up where he lays things side by side to make a point. Here he's using hyperbole. Hyperbole, it's a literary device. When we say he's exaggerating, he's not some boastful windbag. Oh, I, yeah, I'm really important. No, Jesus is teaching in a superlative way, using 
hyperbole in an excellent fashion. You've heard perhaps his other teaching. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Uh, we, none of us would have a right hand if that were to be obeyed literally. Seriously. But rather, through the use of hyperbole, you can focus like a laser beam on a point of truth that is that important. That rises to the measure of the exaggeration or the hyperbole. How serious is sin? That's serious. Sin is deadly. Sin is a gangrene that will take your life. Here, Jesus says, don't invite your family and friends, especially the ones you like or your rich neighbors. What is Jesus telling us? Well, first, we note, because it's hyperbole, he is not saying don't eat with your family. He is not saying don't, don't have your friends over for a meal. But you can see by the contrast what he says later to do, that's our next point, he wants to change our behaviors. He wants to make us aware of the payback loop or the payback routine, as one preacher called it, the rut that we can get in socially where we only hang with those who love us back and pay us back. You know, one scholar saw that this kind of invitation, this kind of hospitality where you're, oh, if I have them over, uh, I'll get to eat at their house next week. It's kind of a, a, a strange form of self-love, self-centeredness. Inviting others, yes. Jesus is checking our motives. You know, God is, is not gullible. He's not fooled. He knows why we often do what we do. So his point here, and don't dismiss the point, We've got to avoid doing for others to get for ourselves. Phil Riken says, if we are honest, we have to admit that many of our relationships are based on quid pro quo. That's a little Latin. And he says, it's a funny way of saying, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And quid pro quo literally just means something for something. Why am I doing it? Well, I'm going to get something back. Jesus is telling us very plainly, practice hospitality differently than the world. If Jesus is your teacher and you're following Jesus, you listen and you say, oh, Jesus wants me to practice hospitality differently. Well, if I'm not inviting these guys who can pay me back, that's a lot of fun. I need to invite who? So he points, practice generosity and invite, when you give a feast, uh, down in verse 13, invite the poor. They don't have anything to offer you back. The crippled, the lame, even the blind. Those relationships aren't for you to get something out of it as much as to give. Practice a gracious generosity. See hospitality as an opportunity for that, for giving, for selflessness, for loving your neighbor, not loving yourself. Where does Jesus get such an idea? Well, the Bible talks about these things in the Old Testament. Jesus knew that Old Testament. He did studied it all his life, we could say, as a, growing up as a child in the promised land. 
Back in Deuteronomy chapter 16, you're welcome to take a look. I'll read the paragraph for you. Uh, The Passover had taken place, or the law about the Passover, was followed by instructions about a feast. Oh, that sounds good. The Passover meal, not so tasty. A lot of symbolic food at the Passover meal. But afterwards came a seven-week-long feast. And it's called the Feast of Weeks. Uh, We would also call it, if we use the Greek or New Testament label, the Feast of Pentecost. Seven times seven, don't tell me, 49, 50 days. The, The festival, the long one, the big one. This is what Deuteronomy tells you about it. See if you can listen for who should be invited. Deuteronomy 16, beginning in verse 9. You shall count seven weeks, begin to count the seven weeks from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall keep the feast of the weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give to the Lord your God as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns, the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. Who gets invited? It's not just for you and the kids or Uncle Bob. It's for all in the community. People that might be outside your view, the fatherless, those orphans. In the ancient patriarchal society, to be an orphan was a rough deal. That's where Jesus gets this idea. It's from the law of God itself. God had precepts written for his people to obey. But in their pilgrimage, uh, many Jews had fallen away from that and were happy just having lunch with the bunch and didn't really expand their horizons. The Pharisees were there and probably not the poor or the lame or the blind. Jesus suggests inviting those What does that mean for us? Who would be on our checklist? Uh, Who's poor? I mean, we live in Clifton Park and thereabouts. We're in a pretty good part of the country. Do we have poor? Yes, we have poor. It sometimes hides in the suburbs of modern America. Those who are living paycheck to paycheck. I think part of the problem in not inviting people in need is because we don't know the need. We need to have a stronger, more close-knit community. There's nothing wrong with being in need. It's not a sign of failure or punishment. It's, it's part of life. I've, I remember deciding whether I could buy books or diapers. Or some weeks, diapers or food. And God provides. Nothing wrong with being poor. Those in need are to be the focus of the followers of Jesus. Jesus says, don't just practice self-love and have all those nice people from church over all the time. Look to your neighbors. Look to those who the Lord brings across your path. Can you do something for them? I know a couple people in this congregation that are very good at that. I won't call them out. They just love the sojourner that the Lord brings across their path. 
But we all need to do that. We all need to do that. Jesus gives a really, really big hyperbole statement to get us to look outside of our insular behavior to what God expects. And we need to display grace and delay gratification. Just one more point before we move on. What is Jesus suggesting? He says, these are guests that cannot repay you. That might help figuring out who you need to invite over. And maybe we need to get concrete and have our calendars out and say, oh, I, I got to find somebody to invite by the end of the month. And if you receive an invitation in that spirit, don't feel labeled. Just let's practice as best we can. Because we want to display grace and delay gratification. We're not doing it to get, but to give. And if we delay the gratification, who will reward us? Jesus says God can reward us. And you will be blessed, Jesus says, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. God knows those are loving others in Jesus' name. When Jesus welcomes those into his kingdom, even as others are turned away, he will say, uh, you fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. When did we do that? When you did it to the least of these. Isn't Jesus consistent in what he asks of his disciples? What he expects of true disciples? To display grace and delay gratification. I think it's really interesting, as uh, Dale Davis points out, uh, Jesus links last things here, this eschatological uh, reward to present behavior. This is what uh, Dr. Davis says. Uh, Jesus links last things with the here and now needs, as if the resurrection of the just should supply motive enough for including the poor, disabled, lame, and blind. Eschatology, he says, should drive present time service. Some of you know exactly what he means. We know what matters in the end. So let's behave appropriately now. Well, Jesus goes on. Dinner with Jesus is a wonderful thing. He had, he had given that particular teaching to his host that's what it said to the man who had invited him and no sooner has Jesus finished speaking than in verse 15 one of the celebrants I don't know if he'd been drinking yet and if this is sincere or if this is uh, superficially pious we don't know we don't have any body language to go by we don't have any intonation we just have a statement in verse 15 very common expression among the Jews this is what he said he said it nice out loud. Um, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. That is true. Why is he talking about the kingdom of God? Because it's the biggest banquet of all. It's the culmination of everything. He had just talked about the resurrection of the just. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees, not so much. So as they're looking ahead, some guy just was looking ahead. Oh, that's going to be a party. We, we don't know how he said it, but he said it. And sometimes people will even say something that's true at a moment and a time to ease their squirming. Yeah, okay, I, I, I haven't been inviting any poor people recently, but you know, when we get to heaven, there'll be a lot of poor people there too. God's very generous, it'll be blessed. 
you know, it's a kind of a deflection, I think. Either way, Jesus talks about it. Jesus will speak about the kingdom. He's going to give a parable, and he calls it a great banquet. And in this next section, what do we see Jesus doing? I call it a display of their blatant disdain. Oh, I picked those words. We need some good words for what's going to be described here. Blatant disdain. Let me define them. Good to know. Big words, kids. Write them down. Blatant means openly, clearly, unashamedly done. Blatant. Not hiding it. You want to see me react? I will be blatant in my reaction. Disdain. It's, it's different than not liking something. Disdain is being open with your contempt. You know, if you watch a child, uh, might try a new food. And you say, here, try this. And they put it in and they go, Bleh! You have no doubt that they don't like it. It comes right back out. Disdain is open scorn. It is treating something as unworthy of any respect. No concern for the feelings of the host. Bleh! That's what we see with these excuses, okay? We're not going to try to, to smooth them over. They would have sounded in the ears of the original hearers as blatant disdain. Nobody at that dinner party that Jesus, where Jesus was talking, nobody would have bought any of those excuses. So let's be prepared as we read it. Let's refresh ourselves here in verse, uh, and I won't make too many sound effects. Uh, Verse 16, he said, Jesus said, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. That's the first invitation. At at the time for the banquet, he set his servant to say to those who had invited, come. That's the second invitation. For everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Let's pause there. Do you notice that in this ancient world, there was a two invitation system. Uh, maybe it's like when we have modern times, somebody sends you a postcard and says, save the date, we're getting married! You know? And it's so excited, you get this postcard, oh, i got to save the date. Uh, you know, later this year, sometime when there's no snow, there's going to be a wedding. So you save the date, or you RSVP when the official thing comes. In the ancient world, they gave the initial one so they could plan. Big feasts, they didn't just have caterers with refrigerator trucks show up, they had to prepare the animals. They had to prepare the food and bake the bread and do all these arrangements. So if there's going to be a feast in several days' times, they started all the preparation based on the RSVPs. And when the day was ready, is everything ready? Everything's ready. Send the servants out. Tonight's the night. Everything's ready. We don't have to delay. It's still on. Tell everyone who RSVP'd it's on. And everyone grasped the two invitations. So let's pick up our reading. In verse uh, 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And then another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another, the third one, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. 
blatant disdain. Don't forget that. That's what's going on here. And we have three excuses. It's a story. It's a parable. And three kind of covers all the bases. It's, uh, it, it shows the extreme nature of this refusal. What's going on here? Let's take a quick look. The field. Who buys a field sight unseen? Back in the horticultural world, you needed to know, is there any water on the property? Is it cut in half by a road? Is it all rocks? Are you going to be able to plow it? Does it have any trees? Can you shelter? What does the land have? You don't buy land sight unseen. It's ridiculous. And you know what? The banquet starts at the end of the day. If you do have to go look at some land, you do it when the, the light is on, when the sun is out. Come on, man. What are you talking about? That's silly. That's, it's more than silly. It's outrageous. What are you talking about? Or the oxen. Second excuse. I bought five yoke of oxen. That is a huge investment in the ancient world. It's, it's probably much more costly than the land itself. These, it'd be like buying five harvester tractors. Big pieces of equipment. Would you make that investment without checking them first? Kicking the tires? Does, does it even, do they even start? Are they sickly? Are they lame? You, you bought oxen without seeing them? Come on, what's with that? Nobody's buying that. Or today, if we had somebody in the church saying, oh, I just bought five used cars because I hope one of them will start and I'll be able to. I haven't seen them yet. I just bought them on the internet. Okay, there's a problem with that. We just don't do that. This excuse is so lame. But you know, I think the worst excuse is the last one. Dale Ralph Davis calls it the lover boy excuse. I thought that was... Uh, gave a, enough of an attitude for us to grasp. Why can't he come? He just says he's married. Okay, did you just get married? Are you on your honeymoon? No, because when he got the first invitation, he RSVP'd. Why do you think the messenger goes to tell him he had RSVP'd? He just basically says, I'd rather spend the night with my wife, or he doesn't have any made-up excuse. He just says, I don't care about you. I'm staying home. And you know what's worse? With the third excuse, he doesn't even ask to be excused. Blatant disdain. In the ancient world, this would be a tremendous affront. This would break the social contract if it literally happened in a small community. One commentator said in some places, if it was done between municipalities, it might even be a pretense for war to treat someone that rudely. One scholar says, these are not merely flimsy excuses. They are hostile ones. These men despise the host's invitation and regard him and his banquet with disdain. And you know, many people treat Jesus that way even today. Somebody gets invited to church or a Bible study or, or just interacts with a friend who's a Christian and they, they just push him away. I don't have time for that. I really don't care. Jesus gets treated that same way. 
So here's the third point here under this blatant display of disdain. Why is Jesus explaining this? What's the purpose of this parable? We know he corrected the host and got at the the self-love of the Pharisees and he, he dealt with that. But why now talk about inviting and people refusing? What's the connection? Here it is, the heart. Listen up. The context is talking about the kingdom of God, the greatest of all banquets. And what the man had said, blessed is everybody who's there. Everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. What a banquet. And Jesus says, who will be there? Who will be there? He brought the topic up before. Jesus does not mince words. He's speaking sharply to religious people, the Jewish people primarily. And he has some news for them about who's going to be there and who's not. Because you're not going to be there even if you RSVP and it's on your calendar if you don't show up when the messenger arrives. If you're waiting for the kingdom, you've read the prophecies. Oh, that's going to be great. I'm going to heaven. But when Messiah shows up, And he walks through your village and says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus comes and you refuse to follow, you're not eating bread in heaven. That's the point of Jesus here. Jesus comes as the messenger, as the Messiah. It's his banquet, as he says at the end. It's my banquet. We must not delay to come to Christ. The real danger is many people are superficially religious. But when the time comes to receive Christ, to believe on him and to follow him, ah, it's date night. The wife's looking forward to having me home. Or I, you know, I got to go throw money at something I haven't seen at all. Hundreds of thousands of dollars. Man, you're blowing smoke. Just tell me you're unwilling and you don't care. That's the reason for this parable, this story. It exposes the excuses and shows that you're refusing God's invitation in the person and work of Jesus. That was his audience. Those Pharisees. They knew the prophecies, but they didn't like the Messiah. Jesus isn't done. Jesus doesn't leave it there. What does Jesus do? He gives us a glimpse at God's guest list. Doesn't he? Isn't that what's happening? Let's take a look at your Bibles in verse 21 as this news comes back to the host. It's in the parable again. Everybody's refused. Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. And the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Hey, we've heard that list somewhere before. Where did we hear that list? Where did that list just... Oh, that's right. Those are the type of people that we should be inviting if we want to please God. That's the type of people the godlike figure in the parable invites. Okay, back to the story. 
Go quickly and do that. Verse 22. And the servant said, Sir, this must be sometime later, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be full. Let's take a look at these invitations. You can see the sermon outline. There's two invitations and then a warning. The first invitation is go get some other people. They're turning me down. Go get some more people. The Gospel of John tells us when Jesus came into the world, he came full of grace and truth. He came to his own and his own received him not. But Jesus didn't stop. He didn't give up. He didn't go back to heaven. In the parable, when the rejections arrive, the host is not deterred. He says, invite others. If the elites of religion will not come, invite the regular folks from religion. Where did most of Jesus' followers come from? Think about it. Pop quiz. You don't have to answer out loud. Solomon's portico. The seminary in Jerusalem? Well, he got one named Saul of Tarsus, student of Gamaliel. He got him. Most of the disciples came from Galilee. What? Up north? Those country hicks? Jesus gathered others when the religious know-it-alls wouldn't have him. That's what this parable is showing us. And, you know, in the margin, I have alternate titles for each of these three points. An invitation for others. This shows us grace is invincible. I saw that in somebody's commentary. I said, that's what it shows us. I'm not going to be deterred by rejections. I'm going to spread this good news, this invitation. God's grace is invincible. But secondly, there's, this, there's still more room. So what happens next? Where there's more room, the host pursues more guests. Where does he go to get these guests? Where does he go? You see it in the Bible. He goes out of town. There's a descriptor. He goes across the road. Roads lead in and out of town. And it mentions the hedges. They're the, that's just a simple word for a wall. He goes outside the city. That's my conclusion. What does that insider outsider language evoke in your mind? The Jewish elite wouldn't take him, so he goes to the regular Jewish people, the Sikh guests. And then he goes outside the walls of this Jewish community. You might think wall in the temple between the Jews and the nations, between the Jews and the Gentiles. I think, and many scholars agree, that this is an indication in the parable that the gospel of Jesus is not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And in this little parable about getting into heaven, when God invites people, there's a place for us. It's not just the Jews who receive their Messiah, but hey, non-Jews who receive this invitation, but I'm not Jewish. Come, come, says Jesus. I, I'm so excited about these points because this, this shows us that God's grace is incredible. It's not deterred, it's invincible, but it's incredible, it's amazing. It goes to great lengths. How, how about that ship uh, captain named John Newton, who was involved in the slave trade between Britain and North Africa? He becomes converted, later on he becomes a preacher, and along the way he writes that little hymn, we might know it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. 
There's something amazing here about God's invitations. God's grace is invincible. It is incredible. This widening invitation, that should be familiar to us. Didn't Jesus actually give it words after his resurrection? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that great uh, bit of instruction to his faithful apostles. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Acts 1, 8. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. And then he goes outside the walls and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Who's going to be at this banquet? Don't presume because you're Jewish. Don't presume because you're a religious person. Those that will be in heaven, eating the bread of heaven with Jesus, are those who receive the invitation and accept it, who show up. That word compel is really strong. It's a word that encourages preachers. I can't get anybody into heaven. I can, I can laugh, I can cry, I can try to tell emotional stories, but I believe it's God who will compel. The Holy Spirit will stir in your heart. You won't be able to sit still. You will want to come to Jesus when Jesus comes knocking. Compel them to come in. And it's the word because some poor guy out in the country, maybe he's a hobo down at the end of the road, get an invitation to go to a feast? No, you got the wrong guy. Well, I want to compel you to come. And along the way, I want to teach you a hymn by John Newton. I'm going to compel you to come in. It is true. Charles Spurgeon was often accused of preaching the grace of God so wantonly. You make it sound just, just so wide open. <laughs> Spurgeon doesn't know how to reply to this. The, the grace of God is amazing. It casts the widest of nets. Whosoever believes can come. You don't have to be in church hearing the gospel. You can, you can be listening to the radio. You can be reading a tract. You can be listening to a podcast. You can pick up a Gideon Bible in a hotel room. You can think of what your friend told you at the high school reunion. His life is different. What does he have? And God will bring the invitation to you. To outsiders. But before we end, we have to see the last part here. Oh, we got plenty of time. We're on schedule. How does this end? Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there's room. The master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Boy, that host in the parable is pretty cool. He says, I got all this room. I want as many to come as possible. We're told in the Bible that God is delaying the return of Christ and the great day of judgment until some from every tribe and tongue accept Jesus and will be present in heaven. God is holding the door open as long as possible. But it will close at some point. Listen to what else is said here at the end. Verse 24 and it's interesting, where does the parable end and where does the direct address of Jesus to his audience begin? 
I think the parable is over in verse 23. I think verse 24, Jesus is now speaking first person to the room. Why would I say that? Well, if you have the ESV, you have a little footnote near the word you. It's plural. If the master was just speaking to the servant, still, the conversation continuing, hey, servant, you know, none of those guys are getting it. It would be singular. The change in the grammar, it's, it's pretty obvious that Jesus is now, he's done with the parable, so he's putting kind of a caption on it, a postscript for the people that just heard it. The people who had been refusing him. And Jesus said, I tell you all, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus, so blunt, he gives this warning. It's almost shocking because he's at a banquet. He's a guest. He's at this host. He's already talked to the host and everybody's been pointed to and talked to. And Jesus just drops that. If you refuse me, you're not in. Jesus had said something earlier in Luke's gospel when he was teaching, Luke 9, 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. If you're not believing in me now, you're not getting in. If you're not receiving my invitation now, please receive it. Later it'll be too late. I never knew you. You didn't have faith in me. You were ashamed of me. Tried to show me up. You brought in that uh, uh, man, the crippled man, and tempted me to heal him, and I did. You're not receiving me. You're out. God is not mocked. That's what I'd write in the margin next to this point. God is not mocked. It comes, the phrase comes from Galatians chapter 6. Jesus had just been admonishing, it's near, the Apostle Paul had been writing Galatians, he'd been admonishing brothers to look out one for another, to care one for another, and then he says this, because a lot of people drop the ball on doing what they should, he says this, do not be deceived, Galatians, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows, and he's using this agricultural analogy, it's a figure of speech, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone especially to those who are of the household of faith. So yes, we do invite our brothers in the faith over for dinner. But we have to seize opportunities to do good to everyone, not grow weary of doing good. In due season, later on, our Father will reward us. The Apostle Paul to the Galatians knows what Jesus taught in this parable. 
You can't just have a party with your friends and call yourself a Christian. You've got to use opportunities to show grace to others as God has shown it to you. Amen. Well, let me close with two encouragements, two exhortations, two applications, not three. Trying to focus a little bit. The first one is general, and and it's mostly for me, but I'll share it with you. Be encouraged by God's great desire to gather in. I so long to see people saved. I long to see lives transformed by the gospel. Life is hard enough, but can you imagine being without the help of our God to go through this world? Without a sense of forgiveness for your sins and a hope of heaven when you die. How frightening it is to go in an ambulance. How frightening it is to get a pink slip. How frightening it is to have someone divorce you without the Lord in your life. But oh, so much more. How frightening will it be to not get into heaven? Be encouraged by God's great desire to gather in, to save. That's what the host in the parable represents. God's got a great big guest list. And if the first people that are invited come, that's great. I'm going to get some others in, and it's going to go beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. That's God's plan. God's heaven will be full. So if you're another preacher or a missionary or evangelist watching or listening to this sermon later on, be encouraged. If you're someone who shares your faith, be encouraged. God will fill his house. We're just the messengers. He'll keep at us. I'm encouraged. Okay, the second one is for all of us. Expand your guest list. Is that pretty clear? We got a to-do section on our phones. Under to-do, schedule it. Don't leave it without a date. Put a date on it. Invite others. Expand my guest list. If you don't do that, you're not taking God's word seriously. Jesus gave that very pointed teaching to move us to do Christ-like stuff. You got a nice house? You got a pretty full fridge? You know how to bake? Or you know where the good restaurants are? Deploy your hospitality in a gracious, lavish way. To the poor, to the needy, to the lame and the blind, you know that creates the thought in me to those who are harder to host. It may require more of you. I can't invite that family to have all those kids. I can't invite that family to have a wheelchair. How would I do it? Do it. Try. And take those physical suggestions and make them the spiritual ones too. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who are devastated and blind spiritually. Grace gives. Expand your guest list. Use hospitality as an opportunity. In order for our lives to show the love of Christ, we need to go beyond doing good to people who do good to us. That's from Jesus. How are you going to expand your guest list? I would love to know in the coming weeks and months 
jot it down and send it to me or just tell me how you have expanded your guest list. And you can ask me. I've got to work on this too. To the glory of God. God loved us when we were yet sinners. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Perhaps we need to see our Christian life as our own adventure story made possible by God's grace. And we're going down the raft of life. But maybe we, like Mark Twain's tale, we need to be a little bit more serious. We need to do a few more things than just the adventure. We need to focus and seize opportunities to show grace and mercy, love and truth to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the teachings of Jesus that are just so powerful, so pointed and true and timeless. If we long to follow Jesus, Lord, help us to obey these things today, these hard things. Help us to expand our guest list. And all the while, may we be encouraged. May we not give up. Your grace is invincible. May your grace be at work in and through us. Do great things, we pray. Father, show us who to love and how to love, to love our neighbors richly and graciously. And may it bring you glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.